0: Oh you. Welcome to the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch Podcast here on the West Virginia Soccer Association Digital Network. My name is Marcus Cole. Now, before we begin today's show, I want to remind you that once you've had a chance to check out our program, make sure you give our podcast a five-star rating and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. That helps you stay up to date on all the latest content from us and helps us get the word out to others to let them know that we're providing valuable information for soccer players, coaches, referees and parents. On the phone with us is Dr. Ashley coker Cranny from Whole Brain Solutions. Doctor, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Marcus. I appreciate you letting me come in.
0: Now, today we're going to be talking about mental health and uh, with our youth soccer players. Uh, Before we jump into our subject, uh, Doctor, why don't you go ahead and briefly tell us about your background and experience?
1: Yeah, um, quite honestly, when it comes to soccer, I had very limited experience through most everything. Um, I think that I might have played when I was five years old, but that was about it. Um, But through my education, I gained a lot more experience. So um, I went to the University of Idaho for a couple of undergraduate degrees to prepare me for a career in sports psychology. I then ended up at the University of Utah, where I got a master's in sports psychology there and then came out to West Virginia, where I could get. Um, my PhD in sports psychology at the same time as getting my master's in counseling, which for me was really important so that I could kind of help athletes not only deal with some of the performance stressors that they had, but other mental health stressors that might come up um, throughout their playing career. So I didn't actually get into working with soccer players until I was in an internship um, and placed with a soccer team. And so I got the, the advantage of learning from the best rather than kind of my own experience. Um, But I've been been working with clients for about 11, 12 years now, um, doing both sports psychology as well as mental health counseling for the last couple.
0: Wonderful. What are some of the pressures uh, that our youth soccer players face?
1: Yeah, um, it's an interesting question to ask because I think that there's so much variability in what pressures individual athletes will face. Um, For instance, we'll have some athletes who really feel the pressure to do well in sport so that they can kind of set their future up and give back to their family and those kinds of things. Um, for some athletes, soccer is really a way to kind of get away from um, other things that may not be going quite as well in their life. So there's kind of this pressure to hang on to, um, to that safe place that they have. And then most times that works out pretty well. But every now and again, it kind of just changes that relationship with soccer Um, In the pandemic, I've been finding a lot of clients are really feeling pressured to um, kind of act a certain way or be a certain way or keep a certain face so that they can kind of hold it together, Um, especially because there's sort of this constant, uh, I guess, pressure to to keep getting better um, with all of this perceived kind of off time that they have, uh, which just really isn't that realistic uh, with all of the other kind of virtual schooling and things that that our athletes are dealing with at the same time. And so kind of that that fear that someone's always coming after them, is always working harder than them, is going to do something to be better than them, I think is really a constant thing I've heard a lot over the last six months.
0: I can imagine that would be would be something that would be on their minds and thinking about. uh, And and it's funny that you say that, because I had somebody mention something along that lines to me a few weeks ago talking about it. But they also in the same breath mentioned maybe some sort of relief for the player in that everybody's in the same situation as you are. This pandemic has hit everybody in, in, for the most part, the same way in regards to some of the restrictions and and things that they can and can't do. Uh, Pretty much everybody's in the same boat.
1: Yeah, and I think that's such an interesting thing that you bring up relief because I've heard that from my clients and almost immediately followed by that is but I feel guilty for feeling relieved. Like, I shouldn't want to be complacent. I shouldn't want to feel relief that, you know, I can't be out there doing the same thing or that. I think that everybody's kind of dealing with the same stuff that I am. There's almost just this, this guilt or shame that comes along with that sense of relief, which is just such an interesting um, kind of paradox that we find ourselves in. And, and I'm glad that we're
0: kind of talk, take, or taking on these issues, just because I think it, it, there's so much more that goes into a youth athlete today than uh, has been maybe in years past. Uh, there's just I think the mental aspect is such an important. Uh, an important part of their game and always interesting to, you know, to find out uh, advice and tips and things along the lines from somebody like you, uh, who's an expert uh, in the space. What are some things that our parents can do to help our youth soccer players navigate some of these pressures?
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that we can do, and, and as a parent myself, I totally get why we do this, but I think that sometimes we invalidate our kids' experiences um, we don't do it on purpose, but we do it because we're trying to make things better for them. And so, you know, they come home upset because it's been, you know, weeks since they've been able to be out on the pitch and, and things aren't going the way that they want. And, you know, we try to make them feel better by saying, oh, well, it'll be okay. Um, and though that's incredibly well-intentioned, what that does is send the, the message to them that what they're actually experiencing in their body and and with their emotions is not valid. Uh, in that moment. And so um, I think one of the things that I'm often telling parents is trust your, your kid to feel what it is that they need to feel and work through it the way that they need to work through it. And I'll give you an example. Um, so I have I have a two-year-old um, and obviously he's he's not in sport yet. He's a little bit too young for that. But let's say that my two-year-old goes out and he skins his knee. Well, my immediate reaction, and I think what a lot of us would like to do, is run over to him and pick him up and hug him and tell him that he's okay. But in doing that, what we tell him is that what his body is feeling, which is I'm not okay, is not an okay way to feel, that there must be something wrong with him for feeling like he's not okay. So instead, I really take a pause, and I really trust his body to tell him what it is that he needs in that moment. If he needs to cry, I let him cry. If he wants me to hold him, then he'll let me know that he needs me to hold him. Then I'll pick him up. I won't say anything, and I won't do anything. I'll just be there to hold space. And then, of course, if he doesn't want me to hold him, then I'll kind of just be nearby and wait for him. Um, but other times he spins his knee and he doesn't need to cry. And so he's kind of able to work through it on his own. And what I'm teaching him in those moments is that he can trust himself to know what he feels and to know how it is that he needs to work through it and that there's no perfect way that he needs to do that. And I think that when we fast forward then um, to some of our older kids, that's a really invaluable skill for them to have So I've also got a six-year-old, and my six-year-old is in football practice or baseball practice or wrestling practice or whatever it is that he's doing. And if he gets upset because something doesn't go his way, instead of me going and talking to coach or me going and yelling at a ref or um, going up to him and saying, hey, suck it up, I kind of let him work through it on his own because he's kind of built up that skill set to listen to his body, to hear what it is that it's trying to tell him, and then to work through it in a way that he needs to rather than me trying to jump and fix it and make it okay, which inadvertently sends that message that what he's doing isn't right and there must be something wrong with him.
0: Yeah, it's a hard avenue to navigate, especially as as a parent. I have uh, two kids, uh, both are college age now, and uh, my son was a competitive swimmer. He decided to give it up because he wanted to concentrate more on his academics. Um, He just felt he wasn't able to give his all to his academics, so he gave up swim. Um, yeah. Now he swims on his own terms, and for him, it brought him back to the fact that it's fun now. And uh, my daughter's yeah. a a Division two soccer player, and of course, you know, th- the relationships with your kids while they're in sports can be difficult to to navigate. Uh, sometimes, Perfect. you know, I mean it's it's been a learning process for me, especially probably me more than them, uh, of trying mm-hmm. to figure out ways to be able to support them, but also at the same time you know, have them if they if they need to come to me for, for whatever. But I think you bring up a, a lot of great points in, in regards to how us parents can can uh, uh, help the kids and in, 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 in help them in the way that they need the help mm-hmm. as opposed to the way we want to help them.
1: Yeah, and I tell parents all the time because I often hear that like, man, that's really hard to not like rush to my kids' defense or rush to their side or those kinds of things. And I often tell them like, take a look at why it is that you feel the need to rush. Do you need to rush to their side because your heart breaks for them and you hate seeing them in pain? Well, that's a a normal parental response, and it makes a lot of sense that you feel that way. But you immediately picking them up or talking to that coach or yelling at that ref, or doing whatever it is that you're doing to kind of try and fix it for them is about making you feel better, not about what's best for your kids. So if you can take that pause and go, okay, Am I doing this thing for me or for them? Then sometimes that's enough to give you enough of a break to look at it and go, okay, what do they need right now, even if it's not what it is that I feel comfortable with? And our kids need to be able to feel things that feel good as well as things that don't feel good. And if we're constantly doing that for them, then we're going to send them off to college and they're going to be on their D1 scholarship and they're going to be ready to go and they're not going to get the playing time that they want or a teammate isn't going to like them or they're not going to be as productive as they like because now they're a smaller fish in a bigger pond or all of those kinds of things and they don't have the skills and the knowledge to know how to work through those negative emotions that are just part of life.
0: And that's the key right there is being able to give them the space, being able to give them the opportunities to develop those skills before you send them
1: off. Yes. Make your kids fail, give them every opportunity to make mistakes and to fall flat on their face and deal with it. Especially
0: in, in, in these younger years, because it's you're, they're in a bubble still, you know, I'd rather them fail now and fail a lot. Because they're still in this protective bubble when they're in, you know, when they're in your house, under your roof. And even when they go off to college, to an extent, they're in the college bubble and things along that lines. Because, you know, when they get out in the real world and they don't have those skills, things can get rough and can get rough real quick.
1: Absolutely. And then you end up in my office and we're working on processing the stuff that happened when you were 10 or 11 years old and you just didn't learn how to do it
0: obviously coaches play a big part in a youth athlete's uh, uh, career what are some things that uh, coaches can do to help in a player's mental health
1: yeah i think that one great thing for coaches is to recognize that they very often are kind of the first alert that first line alert if something is off um, coaches spend a lot of time with their athletes so they're going to get to know who they are and how they respond and what's going on with them um, if they're in high school, maybe they see their athlete as as soon as the day's over. So they might be more privy to seeing if there's peer conflict in school or something like that. Um, when kids get to the point that whatever it is that's bothering them is showing up in sport, it's probably a bigger deal than it would be if we caught it earlier on at home or at school or in the neighborhood or whatever it is that we're looking at. So for coaches to be able to be vigilant and, and particularly noticing Um, big swings in behavior, which I know is a monumental task because developmentally, you get kids in that kind of 12 to 17 range, like big shifts in, in behavior and feelings and everything else are kind of developmentally appropriate. But for coaches to be able to look at that and go, you know, this just doesn't seem like the athlete that I know, it just doesn't feel right. And then have those uncomfortable and open conversations with the people that they need to have it with. So if parents are a safe place to go and have those conversations, talk to them about it. If it feels like that's jumping a gun a little bit and you're not sure really what's going on, just being able to hold space and be there for your athletes beyond just the tactical and technical and strategic pieces of the game uh, is, is a huge piece. I can't tell you how many athletes I've talked to that have been like, you know, things got really, really rough for me when I was in middle school, but I had this coach that was always there and and always asked me how it is that I was doing and really cared what my answer was. Um, those kinds of protective relationships that they can form with their coaches are going to have major lasting effects through their entire lives.
0: What are some mistakes that we make with uh, a player's mental health?
1: Um, you know, I think sometimes... And we don't do this intentionally. I think sometimes we don't necessarily believe them. We we think that, oh, this might be just a phase. Um, oh, it's not b- that big of a deal. Oh, that kid didn't really bully you. Oh, of course your teammates care about you. Um, some of those kinds of things. And I think that when we when we unintentionally kind of dismiss what it is that they're telling us, then we shut that door on, hey, you can come and talk to me when things get really big and it really is a huge deal. So um, I'm constantly talking to coaches and parents, like believe your kid first and then do your due diligence after that. Hold that space for them first and then do, do your due diligence, and whatever it is that you need to do after that. So I think between trying to fix things and, and unintentionally minimizing things, I think we really do our athletes a disservice because it may not be a big deal to us that they missed the goal in that game. But for them, that's a monumental deal. And then we need to figure out what is it that they're, that they're coming to us for if we're able to get in that conversation. Are they looking for a solution, in which case we can help guide them through that and work them through that process? Or are they just looking to vent and feel a little bit better, in which case we can kind of sit with them and be with them? So I would say that two of the biggest mistakes we make are trying to fix things too early or dismissing how big of a deal something is to our athletes.
0: I think one of the biggest uh, things that I learned early on in being a parent and being a coach of soccer, uh, I ask the question a lot, what do you want from this? Yes.
1: You,
0: you know, what, what do you want? Do, do you want me to fix it? Do you want me just to listen? Do you want me to, yes. whatever it is, what do you want? And I think that's, yes. a, that's an important thing that, to ask.
1: Absolutely. And the first few times we do it, like we feel a little bit silly because that's not usually the way that we go about doing things. But it really does make such a difference um, to kind of get an idea of what it is that they're looking for. And it also saves a lot of it saves
0: a lot of time, too.
1: Oh, certainly.
0: Because you don't play that dance. of Well, you know, I don't know what they want. And, you know, ask (laughs) what you want.
1: (laughs) Yes. Exactly, and you're teaching them to be assertive and you're teaching them to put themselves together and all kinds of stuff kind of wrapped up into that. That's a great tactic.
0: Now, obviously, uh, youth soccer players uh, have control, have some control over their mental health. What are things that they can do to help themselves deal with the pressures of school or sport or even home life?
1: Yeah, um, I, I have a couple of things there. One is... I think it really helps youth soccer players and, and youth in general to be able to see their identity kind of holistically. I think sometimes they get stuck in this idea of like, oh, I am a soccer player. And so the scales kind of get tipped into I have to put everything into this one part of my life, which is fine when that one part is going really well and they're making progress and they feel really good about it. But then when things start going downhill because they're under recovered or they're overtrained. Um, or, or they're burning out or whatever it is that's kind of happening to them, then they don't really have much identity left to fall back on. So if athletes themselves can go through and kind of notice, like, I really enjoy playing soccer, but it doesn't define me. That's a really big kind of piece. Um, I also talk to people a lot about how it is that they use language and how that affects how we feel about the experiences that we have. So an athlete who uses butt a lot, um, I want this, but it's not working right. Um, I tried this, but it didn't happen. Whatever it is that they're thinking, when they use but, then they're invalidating everything that they've said before that. So I really want to play soccer, but school has to take precedence. They're then minimizing what it is that kind of matters to them. If they can make space for and, I really want to, to go practice soccer tonight, and I have school work that I have to do, that brings in some ability to make choice which builds their sense of autonomy in, okay, I can choose when I'm going to train tonight and when it is that I'm going to do homework and what that balance looks like is up to me. Um, And that kind of leads into a, a second language piece that I find really helpful with athletes, which is if we don't want them to be rigid in their thinking, then let's help them to let go of some of the rules that they've created. So when we hear our athletes say, oh, I should be doing this, or I should be doing that, or I shouldn't have done this other thing, Um, That's a really kind of rules-driven way to go about things. And the problem with rules is that they don't always apply equally in every situation. Um, And so if we can instead shift their focus to their values and what it is that they want to do, so rather than saying, well, I should be practicing two extra hours a week to get where it is that I want to be, then we start saying, well, do you want to be practicing two extra hours a week? And when they start using that language then they can start to realize, oh, this is my choice. Even if it doesn't feel good, even if I'm tired, whatever, I'm not here because I have to be, I'm here because I want to be. And I want to be because it's aligned with what it is that I care about, which is going to sustain that behavior and that motiva- motivation much longer than doing it because I have to. I
0: agree Agree a million percent on that. Um, yeah. September is uh, Suicide Awareness Month. Um, Obviously, that's part of the reason why we've had you on on the program to talk about mental mm-hmm. health. Can you give us some insight on to being aware of warning signs in our youth players?
1: Yes, and I think that this is such an important topic to talk about. There are a couple of reasons for that. Um, in the state of West Virginia, for adolescents aged 10 to 24, suicide is the second leading cause of death. Wow. So it's a major concern for our youth, especially in our state. And up until 2019, we had more deaths, more attempts, and greater prevalence of depression than the national average. So it's a bigger problem here for us in this state. So we need to be more aware of it. We need to be more proactive in addressing it. And so like you said with the warning signs, things that we're looking for are, are there drastic changes in behavior that don't quite make sense? Um, Are there long periods of time where all of a sudden they aren't bathing um, or, or brushing their teeth or they're isolating or they're um, more irritable than usual or things like that, that's certainly a red flag. Um, other red flags might be obsessions with death. Um, so maybe we hear them talking about it a lot or talking to their friends about it a lot. Um, certainly if they've made mention of what would it be like if I wasn't here anymore things like that those are all red flags that we really do need to pay good close attention to does it guarantee that yes they're suicidal and that we need to get professional help immediately maybe or maybe not Um, that's where I would recommend if you're ever in doubt consult a professional it's good for parents to say hey I noticed this in my kid here's what it is that I'm hearing I'm starting to feel concerned trust your gut there if you're feeling concerned that means that those red flags are there and you need to talk to somebody to see what it is that you can or should do moving forward Um, the other thing that I tell people and this is incredibly difficult I still find it difficult even in my role as a mental health counselor is use the word suicide so rather than saying well are you thinking about hurting yourself say, are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you considering suicide right now? When we don't use that word and we don't put that finality on it, then we're teaching them that it's not okay for them to be thinking or to be talking about what it is that they're thinking. If we're uncomfortable with that word, if we're uncomfortable with that idea, then how are they going to feel comfortable telling us, no, this is what's going on inside me right now and I'm really scared and I need help. And so, using those words, tracking those things, consulting with professionals, um, we've just we've we've got to make it less of a stigma if we're really going to do the kind of good that we need to do.
0: And it's, yeah, and it's so important and it's important to talk about it. I I, I, yeah. I, I can't get over the fact of, of folks not wanting to talk about I mean, I get that it's a hard subject and, you know, yeah. you can't think of, you know, it's hard to think about the fact of your child taking their own life, but we've got, mm-hmm. we have to talk about it. We have to yeah. be, get over the, of the uncomfortableness of talking yeah. about it. And like you said, and using the words. Uh, I know Mm -hmm. I've had those conversations with my kids and using the Mm -hmm. words because, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big boy subject and a big girl subject and we need to, you know, Mm -hmm. we need to be able to talk about it in that way. Absolutely. And Absolutely, I,
1: this is not the kind of thing we can just hide our heads in the sand
0: about. Yeah, we can't use puppets. We can't use you know a book that yeah you, know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Just mm-hmm. do, that we do mm-hmm. without uh, you know for potty training or you know or any of those types of things. Um, you know right. we, we've we've got, we've got to be able we got to be able to have real uh, talks about it. And and I think uh, a good thing for parents is that if you have difficulty in talking about that, that's where you bring in somebody like you to, to, to deal with the situation because, you know, you, you have a lot of expertise in it and you'd be able to navigate a little bit better. So for those, you know, those parents that are uncomfortable about the subject, if you can't address the subject yourself, you know, find somebody that can help you do that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. As we kind of,
0: as we kind of wrap things up here, Ashley, um, if (laughs) you can give just one piece of advice. Uh, to our players, parents, and coaches about mental health, what would that one piece of advice be?
1: I think that the biggest piece of advice that I would have is is keep searching, keep asking what else. Um, and what I mean by that is when you notice that you're feeling upset if you're the athlete or if you notice that um, something doesn't seem quite the way that it normally is even if it's what might be a small thing ask what else is there like i said earlier making space for and means asking asking what's deeper because i might feel really sad right now but it may not be the only thing that i feel and if i can if i can make that space just by digging a little bit deeper then I can get myself to the place where I can process through it and then move on to the next thing, and it's not going to carry with me kind of moving forward. So as parents and coaches, talk less, ask more, push them to see what else is is kind of going on, Um, and then really just stay committed to those values. Know what it is that matters to you and why it is that it matters and how what you're doing is getting you closer to that, even when it doesn't always feel great in the moment. And I think that if we can do those couple of things, we can really work through a lot of the, the challenges that we face and we can build a lot more mental toughness to seek out failure and to make mistakes and learn from them and to be confident, not in an outcome, but in our ability to to get better and to move forward and to recognize what we can control and what we can't control and, and all of those things that really help us navigate Starts with getting a little bit deeper, asking a little bit more, staying a bit more engaged, and opening up to a range of experiences that are guided by our values rather than a strict set of rules.
0: Yeah, and 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 that's 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 the key there is that self awareness, being being aware of of what's around you, and not only dealing with yourself but dealing with others too. And you bring up such a great point that I always like to tell, and I've always told my kids this. Control the controllables because that's all you're in control of. You're not in control of your playing time. You're not in control if, you know, how and when you get injured, you know, all you can do is the things to prepare yourself better for those situations. You bring up, you bring up.
1: Yeah, I mean, whether it's a mistake or whether it's just a freak accident or whatever it is, it doesn't matter as much what it is that happened. It matters more how it is that you respond to it. Yep. And the more aware we can be, the better we can respond in, in ways that work for us.
0: Of course, you can find uh, you can find Ashley uh, online. Uh, you can find out more about her and also the services of uh, Whole Brain Solutions uh, up in uh, Morgantown. We appreciate uh, uh, them for helping out with our, our podcast episode here. They're online at wholebrainsolutionswv.com. Of course, the uh, uh, the person in charge, Laurel O'Neill Thornton, is a big soccer person up in the Morgantown area, has been on our program uh, a number of times. So, Ashley, we certainly appreciate you coming on the program and uh, talking to us today.
1: It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And thank you for listening to the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch podcast here on the West Virginia Soccer Association Digital Network. Now that you've heard our show, make sure you give our podcast a five-star rating and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next Thursday with another episode, so we hope to see you next week. Take care.